Welcome to ASD Engage, a podcast for families of children who are currently waiting for an Autism Spectrum Disorder or ASD assessment. I'm Dr. Heidi Kiefer, a clinical child and adolescent psychologist. I'm Maury Mosley, a psychometrist. And I'm Sean Brumby, also a psychometrist. We work on teams that assess children for ASD at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital. Each episode, we will present a topic that reflects concerns brought forward by families we work with. You'll hear information regarding the assessment process and insights and information from a variety of specialists. And more importantly, we'll talk directly to families who share some of their personal stories with us in an effort to help guide you through the assessment process. In a couple of our previous episodes, we spoke to a parent, Adrienne, about what the experience was like to have her daughter assessed and diagnosed with ASD. One of the unique aspects of Adrienne's story was that her daughter was diagnosed seven years ago. Adrienne shared how much has changed in terms of her daughter's development and also reflected on the changes with respect to her own perspectives about ASD. In this episode, we shift our focus to Kelly and John a couple who were parents of a son, Liam, who received a diagnosis of ASD less than six months ago. On top of that, they went through this process in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Liam is quite young, two years of age, and we're speaking with parents at a time when the ASD diagnosis is still quite new and their story with Liam is still very much being written. So first of all, hello, Kelly and John. It's a pleasure to have you here for this episode. Hi there. Hi there. Thanks for having us. So to start off with, could you tell us a bit about your family and what the circumstances were like when you started the assessment process with Liam? Um, sure. So currently we're living with, um, actually we were living with John's parents um, and we've been staying with my parents for the last two weeks but we're going back to John's parents place in the household there's uh, myself John Liam and John's parents and John's sister so there's a lot of it's a joint family a lot of people in the house yeah uh, we've been living there for the past year because we're going through some renovations also <laughs> with our own house uh, we he started daycare in um, in September and he of 2019 yes of 2019 sorry yeah um and after about a month of being in daycare um his daycare teachers approached me and said he was a little behind in certain areas um and i i kind of immediately knew something was off by the way by what she was describing um so i made an appointment with his pediatrician the next day and um I went to see the pediatrician, and he made me fill out something called the um, the MCHAT after I told him he was behind in speech, um, and then some, I think it was some motor skills as well. Yeah, fine, um, fine motor skills. Yeah, so he made me fill out this form called an MCHAT. Uh, I went home and Googled it and found out it, had, it related to autism, so I kind of knew right away that, you know, that's a possibility. Um, so I told John about it and his family and no one really took me seriously. So, um, so John kind of, yeah, I, I, so I think when we were talking to people about it, it it just seemed like, okay, uh, 
people said, oh, you know, boys tend to develop slower. They're, yeah. they're later to, to pick up on speech. And I think I had just kind of reinforced those opinions in my head. Uh, and so... Uh, I hear that a lot, actually. Yeah. When clients coming in. And, uh, but because uh, Kelly was concerned, I thought, okay... Um, I, I do have a friend who works for um, an autism center in Scarborough, uh, SAC. Okay. Uh, and so he actually, I, I reached out to him and he put me in touch with a pediatrician there. Um, and so we uh, scheduled an, uh, an assessment. It's like a like screening. A screening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we met uh, the doctor there. And I, I really went into this thinking that it was just a, a formality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget what the name of the screening, specific screening that he did was, but I think it was on a scale of like 30. 30 yeah. And the 30 way he explained high. it to us was, uh, you know, if you score a 12, then it's probably worth it to do a more in-depth assessment. Uh, if it's if it was like 16, then you definitely want to do one. Okay. Uh, and so he was giving uh, Liam these sort of little uh, tests, like little little games to, to do. Um, he'd give him a light-up toy, and Liam would kind of get fixated on it and put it in his mouth, um, or bring it up, or to bring his it up, eyes. yeah, really close to his face. Um, another thing that he did was kind of holding up two pictures, one of a baby and one of uh, this railway tracks, and see where he gravitated towards. Right. And um, uh, I, he actually picked both of them, so that kind of was a little less conclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were a series of things that he did, and at the end of it. Uh, he told us, you know, not to freak you out or anything, but he scored a 19. Um, and it was at that moment, I think, that it hit me that, okay, this is not what I thought it was. This is definitely a little uh, bit more serious. More serious. Uh, so but that, he did mention, like, some of the, he did mention, like, um, he had a lot of, Liam has a lot of positive traits yeah. that, are, that are inconsistent yeah. with ASD, which made the whole thing very confusing. Mm-hmm. Like, he had uh, pretty good eye contact, um, mm-hmm. or has... He has in terms um, of uh, he's social. He's pretty social. Like he wants to yeah. be engaged with us. So yeah. it was very laughing you know, and playing. Yeah, and, like you know. it, it was kind of confusing. So he said, "Yes, you know, you should get him tested." But you know, he also has these traits that are inconsistent. So um, that kind of made the whole thing kind of yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. confusing. I yeah. think the the one thing that did seem kind of odd to us from the like before the assessment was um, so this was at this point uh, Liam was. 19 months and yeah 19 or 20 months yeah and he wasn't responding to his name okay. like he never responded to his name when yeah. we call him out um and so that whole time that whole time okay. yeah so yeah. you know we although we didn't even think of it yeah because he has a lot of pet names at home like <laughs> nicknames yeah from our my parents and john's parents um so we were just like, okay, he's got too many nicknames, right. so everybody's got to start calling him by his name. So we didn't think anything of ASD. We just thought that might be the reason. Mm-hmm. But when like there's too many names and he's yeah. just getting confused by yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that we we just kind of we were making used that as an excuse to to justify yeah. why he wasn't responding to his actual name. Yeah. Um, but it it became more clear at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kelly, you went into action right away once the daycare brought up concerns. I did, yeah. And so how long had he been in daycare before they, they brought those issues to your attention? Just a month. Our Just... daycare was really on top of everything. Yeah. Um, they, 
they do like a, a, an assessment every few months and I guess um, his assessment was due he like I think they mo- most people start at 18 months the the ban is 18 months to two and a half year olds for the class he was in so mm-hmm. he was due for an assessment I guess and uh, he fell quite behind he was at like the 15 month um, level according to them um, and he was at, he was 19 months nice. so um, he's pretty far behind uh, and I think they said stuff like speech was behind um, fine motor skills were behind he wasn't like able to feed himself fully um, stuff like that so he was behind in a, a number of areas um, and that's why they they just mentioned it they didn't actually say anything like oh he may have ASD or anything they just said he was behind and then I that's what just made me get worried and make an appointment with a pediatrician, with the pediatrician. yeah yeah so early on it sounds like the two of you were on different pages in terms of considering the possibility of ASD what was going on with that and what was that like for both of you to be on different pages um I think I think for me um I kind of knew right away that something was wrong maybe because I was the one that heard the news from the 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 daycare teacher like John wasn't there um when I got that news so um so I don't know it kind of seemed very real to me when um the daycare teacher told me that information and I was kind of just relaying it to John um so I don't know maybe because you didn't hear it firsthand but also because like our parents and a lot of people were just like oh he's probably just behind you know he's he'll catch up every child is different like we yeah. had a lot of that we, we're first-time parents so you know I, I think I was uh very accepting of other people's opinions on what could be going wrong right. uh and I would say you know if I can say so I think I think like in, in our relationship uh Kelly does tend to worry more and I'm usually maybe sometimes overly optimistic about how things are going yeah, uh, our personalities so, are different. That way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely but like, uh, you know, it, on, in this case, she she was spot on, uh, and so that was just something that I, I had to to come to terms with, uh, you know, the hard way, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 So a few different factors then, kind of going into that. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But I could see how, like, uh, listening to other people, kind of like taking that advice of you don't need to sound the alarm quite that quickly right Mm -hmm. you might just be behind and everybody's on their own path yeah we definitely got a lot of that um and I I don't know I feel like I uh I don't know I do a lot of googling so (laughs) (laughs) I think um there's that too (laughs) yeah like I read a lot and stuff so even just looking at the the questions on the the M chat that I that I had to fill out like uh, I I think I I googled that when I got home too like questions on M chat and Liam had in like had a lot of them like a lot of the the signs so that also made me kind of you know uh, more sure about that there was something going on there mm-hmm. um, so I'm not sure if you you probably didn't do that but no that's no, something no. I, I, I I do I, I'm hesitant to just kind of google these sorts of things because you know you you can kind of find anything like any opinion that you're looking for i felt like so i I just wanted to wait until we 
heard from a, a professional yet, but in my mind, I really did think that it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but but once you know, the the doctor kind of put things uh, into perspective, then then I, I realized immediately that uh, yeah. I had to change like, <laughs> what I was thinking. John probably got on board after that initial um, screening. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's when it hit him yeah. right, that this is real. Um, yeah. And our parents. Uh, oh. They didn't come on board until <laughs> way later. I think my mom still doesn't fully believe it. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. we've got some questions <clears throat> about that a little yeah. bit later on. Yeah. So, um, John, you'd mentioned you got connected to SAC, which yes. I believe is the South Asian Autism Awareness Center. I believe that's the correct yes. uh, full form. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. and so you had a friend who was working there. Yeah, a childhood friend. He's wor- He works there. Yep. Yeah. And what was your experience like there? It was great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I've known about SAC for, for a while since my friend had, had started working there. And, and I, you know, uh, I've been to uh, at least one of their galas that they do. They do a yearly thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I had some knowledge of, of what they do. But, um, you know, I'm so glad that they were there to to help us uh, through this process because uh, you know uh, the doctor that we met there, Dr. Shiv, uh, met with us uh, uh, obviously for the first screening, but then also later on, you know, once once the pandemic started, mm-hmm. we had a, a Zoom chat uh, with him uh, and another gentleman who kind of helped us through. Uh, you know, just we explained where we were at with the whole process, and they kind of helped us with next steps. Um, so yeah, we're definitely very uh, appreciative. Of that yeah well yeah and even just listening to you talk about the process like it seems like you have a good understanding of why they were doing what they were doing and yeah. what the scores meant and stuff like that yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah for sure so you then you went from SAC and then you were on the wait list for a developmental assessment here at Holland Borderview mm-hmm. um, and then the most unexpected thing happened a global pandemic <laughs> uh, so the hospital <clears throat> paused assessment services for a period of time and then started offering virtual assessments done over Zoom, uh, which was in lieu of those in-person assessments, um, which we couldn't do because of the lockdown. So what were your thoughts initially about doing the virtual assessment? I initially wanted to do it in person. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just felt like um, seeing, like being with someone face-to-face, you, it's... I don't know, maybe you get a, a different more conclusive or result or something. Like, um, th- that's just something I had in my mind. But um, we, obviously, that wasn't possible because of the pandemic. So, um, or otherwise, it would be delayed significantly, right. <clears throat> the assessment. So we went ahead with the virtual assessment. And, and um, it was actually, it was pretty good. Like, um, we... One benefit of it was that um, we were in our own home, so it was a very natural setting for Liam. Um, and John was the one kind of following uh, myself and Liam around with the camera, um, and he he tends to run around a lot, so he you know he would just follow us and and show the doctors how how he played. So it was a very natural setting, so that was pretty good, and it didn't, like, Liam was pretty calm, like, 
and um, happy in his yeah. in in the home setting. So that was definitely a benefit. Yeah, and even happy and friendly with the doctors on on the screen, you know, saying yeah. hello and smiling, and you know, yeah, yeah, he was in a good mood. So I think that was helpful. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were the cameraman. I was yeah. the cameraman. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say like over that period of time between when we had the assessment of Holland Blue Review uh, from starting from when uh, when we first got the screening um, you know uh, Kelly's become very good at, at modeling play and that that's a comment mm -hmm. that that we've received uh, more than once right. uh, so I, I think it just made more sense for me to get behind the, <laughs> camera, be the camera just to make sure we get <laughs> yeah. the best assessment possible everybody using their own strengths yeah that's right <laughs> that's right yeah. yeah, I can understand your hesitation though, Kelly, because up until that point, you had had pretty much all your in-person sessions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so it would have felt quite a bit different to, to think about it being virtual for the main assessment. Yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, I should, yeah, I should mention like we, the appointment at at SAC was in person, and we also, um, and we might get into this later, but we did do early intervention so mm -hmm. um and all of those sessions were in person so that's why i was just comfortable with having in-person um sessions yeah yeah absolutely um so we talked about how um you've been living with your family throughout the process so it sounds like right now you're living with maternal grandparents mm -hmm. for a couple of weeks but are, are headed back to paternal grandparents. Yes. <laughs> <That's right. Yeah. laughs> was the assessment and the possibility of ASD something that you openly talked about with other family members with with parents and and siblings yes. yeah with yeah. immediate family members yes yeah. we um, openly talked to them about it because we're in constant contact with um, them yeah. with extended family members we haven't um, talked about the yeah. diagnosis at all I think we, we debated whether or not to, to do it and um, I don't know if there'll come a time later where it makes sense um, but um, what did happen uh, you know prior to us getting the formal assessment done was I, I ended up speaking to um, an, a, a, a relative or acquaintance that um, whose son also uh, is on the spectrum, mm -hmm. uh, is a bit older. And so, you know, I had long conversations with him uh, just to understand his experience. Mm -hmm. And they had chosen, aside from some immediate family, not to really um, share that information with, with other people. Yeah. Uh, and I think there were various reasons for that, but uh, it, it seems to have worked out well for them. I, I think probably one of the concerns that, that we certainly have is... Um, people treating Liam differently mm -hmm. uh, you know we don't want him to to be labeled uh, especially since you know he he is very high functioning like um, if someone didn't tell you that he was on spectrum you probably wouldn't know right. uh, and so uh, we didn't want that to present uh, any sort of uh, 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 you know strange dynamic for for you know family gatherings or, or you know uh, get-togethers with friends and, and all of that so yeah, so I think we've been very selective with who we've shared the information with because um, we did share it with immediate family, not extended family, but we have shared it with um, some close, like I've shared it with some close friends and uh, mm -hmm. we've shared it with colleagues. I, I've shared it with, with colleagues just because uh, I'm dealing with them uh, every day and so they know when I'm going for appointments and all that. I haven't even told uh, most of my friends, really, uh, just for the same reasons that I am, you know, I'm not telling my extended family right now. 
and I have a big family, so that's why it was, you know, we right. really had to figure out so what was the... So you quite selective. Yeah. 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 And when you said um, siblings before, John, you meant um, yours and Kelly's siblings, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 What was the reaction of the family members that you did tell when Liam did get the ASD diagnosis? So, um... I would say on the initial screening, uh, there was definitely still skepticism because it was still just a screening. Right. Um, they thought they were still, I think, pretty certain that it's not what we're fearing it is. Uh, once we got the formal diagnosis, I think my parents were a little more on board. Um, you know, I, I think they still don't necessarily know what to do with it, uh, but they, they somewhat accepted. And that. I think with my parents, I think my, my dad was always kind of on board. He was pretty, he actually told me, um, he was the one that noticed that Liam was not responding to his name that's right um a long time ago he he mentioned it at he was the one that mentioned it to us at like i don't know 12 months um and and that's when we were like oh he's got too many nicknames um so i think my dad's always kind of uh suspected something right uh my mom is the complete opposite she um you know (laughs) just like yesterday just kind of like oh you know well all kids are like this or whatever like making some excuses so um so yeah, she she's worked at, at daycares and stuff too. So so I think she's saying you know there are lots of kids like this. You know, it's really mom, nothing yeah. to to yeah. worry about. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, a lot of those kids could also be on spectrum, and you don't know. So yeah. I, I think yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of it just has to do with with awareness. Yeah, John, yeah. you mentioned like you think your parents are on board, but you're not too sure like that they know what to do with that. What do you mean I, by that? Yeah, I mean I, I think. Uh, I, I think my, my mom is really hopeful that it will somehow kind of go, go away. away. <laughs> that, right. You know, yeah. uh, we, I, you know, yeah, she sure. Still, I mean, she still calls everything like she's still asking us when does treatment start and stuff like that. And I like try to tell her that it, it can't really be treated. It can be, um, you know, you can manage it with therapies but it's you know not going to go away mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. she's almost yeah. envisioning treatment as like once like a, treatment is over then all it'll of be this cured will be, um, seems yeah, like cured. it I, I mean she hasn't said that but i i think that i think she's hoping that right. that's what the final outcome will be mm-hmm. uh which you know fair, fair enough you know we, we all hope that we can you know and we've heard different things that uh, it's possible that with intensive therapy right now, given that Liam is very young, that maybe he can come off spectrum, which, you know, which, which would be good. Uh, I think for us, uh, we're, we're hoping an achievable goal will be to get him to a point where he's independent, uh, you know, uh, and, and just able to, to function in society in, you know, uh, what might be considered typical or, or normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's kind of on a, a bit of a different page. I think so. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, think, I think they're slowly coalescing, but it, it's, it, it's a journey. And we're just trying to educate as, uh, educate everybody as we see them. Like, uh, just, I'm trying to point out to, like, my parents, like, this thing that he's doing right now is not typical because he's, he's fixated on something. I'm just trying to mm-hmm. t- show them what's the difference between atypical and typical. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be a process, and yeah, they'll eventually, you know, come to terms with it. 
at this stage, in terms of like your understanding and your acceptance of the ASD diagnosis, do you find that there's still times when your family members are kind of influencing the way you think about the things you're seeing with his development? And, and then also, like, does it pro provide like a bit of a filter or a lens uh, um, in terms of the professional advice and support you've been getting? I guess for me, it depends on, on what advice they're giving. Mm -hmm. If it's something that would somehow relate in the opposite direction of what we already understand of his ASD diagnosis, then I would just completely ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, if, if it's something to do with potty training, you know, unrelated to ASD, maybe, then I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, like we might take some general parenting tips <laughs> yeah. from them. Yeah. Right. But, um... Yeah, if it's anything to try to change our minds about yeah. where Liam is at, then no, I, no, I would just yeah. disregard it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that, that's been a big shift then from thinking about what you were describing before. Yeah. Whereas, like, first-time parents, like you mentioned, John, you were you were really taking into consideration a lot of these different viewpoints. That's right. I mean, I, I fully accept where, uh, you know, where Liam is at. And uh, so it's, for everyone else, it's pretty much, you know, get on board or get out. Yeah, so. and I think we've had um, a lot of education in the last, you know, since September, really, like, of ASD and... I think we know more than our parents do in terms of ASD because we are the ones that are going to therapy and um, interacting with all these different professionals. So um, in, in that respect, I, I trust the professional's opinion yeah. Um, more. Yeah. 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 Um, could you also tell us a little bit about your, your culture's perspective on, on ASD and if you think that might also play a role in how your family views what they notice about Liam mm -hmm. and the reason that they're using for the behaviors that they see? Well, that's an interesting question. So, so we'll just give a little more context on our, our background. Um, so we're, we're both, like both of our parents come from India. Um, Kelly's parents are from the north, they're Punjabi, my parents are from the south, they're from Kerala. Um, and so, you know, in India, at least from what I've seen, they, they don't really talk a lot about, um, you know, about autism uh, in general. I, I've spent some time, I went to high school in India, so, you know, I, I feel like I would have heard something about it. Right. Uh, and it, even here, I feel like it's getting a lot more attention now than it was, say, 20 years ago. Yeah, so um, from a cultural perspective, it hasn't really been part of the conversation. Uh, anything they're hearing about it is in a Canadian context. Um, but they've also been here long enough that I, I don't think they're necessarily thinking about it too much from the Indian perspective. I, I don't know, Kelly, if, if you have any thoughts on that. I mean, all, I think all I can add is um, I don't know if this is a cultural thing, but... Um... I just know that my parents, as, as well as John's parents, they don't talk about these things. Um, and they, they've explicitly told us, you know, let's not tell the family. That's true. That's true. Uh, let's not tell, don't tell people this, yeah. anything about this. So, and it, that might be a cultural thing where it's not talked about. Um, any That's sort true. of illness or any sort of condition, like, is just not... It's yeah. kind of swept under yeah. the rug almost. I'd like to think that <laughs> wasn't a factor in us deciding not to share it with extended family. Right. Uh, but, you know, I certainly they, they did express that opinion as yeah. well. Yeah. 
Do you have any sense of like like what the what the reasoning or the motives are behind that kind of like this is something we don't talk about? Um, I they haven't really given a proper explanation for why not to. I don't know if it's a sense of shame. Um, Possibly the um, judgment. But part of it is also I think the the same reasons that we were concerned with. They don't want uh, Liam to be treated differently, differently by by family members because of this diagnosis. Right. Um, or people to just kind of, I think they're worried about people gossiping and, you know, Mm -hmm. saying things, Mm -hmm. uh, and how that might, uh, you know, evolve. Um, I think that's part of it. And also, you know, uh, that's part of the reason like SAC exists. I, I, Mm -hmm. I do know that, uh, because yeah, within the community, people are ashamed to, to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so while autism has become, uh, a lot more, um, prevalent of a topic in in recent years um yeah you're right in in our like in the cultural context i think um south asian folks any sort of mental illness really it's not just autism depression anxiety whatever it is Mm -hmm. uh people don't want to talk about it right because it brings a sense of shame uh and so uh you know the existence of sac was really i think to to make sure that uh people in our community understand that it's okay to to talk about these things to acknowledge that uh you know our children might not be uh you know what might be considered to be typical uh and that it's okay to have these conversations and in fact that's the only way to to move forward uh you know um, sweeping it under the rug is only going to serve to create you know bigger issues down the line and i think um that organization sac the organization um also helps those the parents connect because otherwise you wouldn't know you know anybody else who is um experiencing the same thing within the community within this within the community so it does give um people an opportunity to connect with other other parents yeah wow those are all like great points and it sounds like they're they provide a huge level of support Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah definitely so kelly you um you highlighted how you and john have really um, done a lot education-wise and learning about ASD, and so now you feel like um, you know, you're on, on the track to becoming experts well, about What's it like to be the information sharers to the rest of your family to help educate and inform them about ASD in, in order for them to better understand Liam? Um, I think I definitely feel more, more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, I was just kind of scared didn't know what I was doing but by getting all this education and then passing it on to my family uh and John's family it I feel more confident in um my abilities and John's abilities and um I don't know I just feel like uh little tips that we're getting from all like the various therapists um I'm, I'm able to comfortably tell everybody, okay, this is what you do in this situation. This is what you do in that situation. And, um, I don't know. I feel like they kind of respect us more too. <laughs> yeah. As, as parents. Um, as, yeah, yeah. So like, um, your family, I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Like yeah. they do ask, um, you know, Oh, what did the therapist say today? Like they're eager to learn as well. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, um, I don't know. It's improving the relationship. In, in some ways, yeah. And kind of making and us straining all it in others, but <laughs> it's yeah. It's, straining it's it in others, though. I mean, no. I, I would say, like I said in the beginning, it was kind of 
uh, everyone is on a different page and now we're kind of slowly coalescing. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I think as time goes on, they, we're all kind of starting to see things in the same way and understanding what the path forward should be for right. the most part. Uh, but there is still, I think, from time to time, there will be, uh, you know, pain points. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're kind of alluding to the idea that you're moving towards consistency among people, right? That everybody is going to be able to use the same strategies and stuff like that. So right. as instead of it just being the two of you um, kind of, you know, um, using strategies with them, you're getting more to be a family unit, right? Being able to yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're hoping, and like it is moving towards that that way. I mean, things. I don't know how things are going to be in the future because we are living with them currently um, with our parents. So um, you know, there's that constant exposure to each other. Um, when we move, hopefully, we'll be able to maintain um, that consistency. So, um, but yeah, everybody, I think, is slowly you know applying the same rules like for example um uh, we don't we actually put liam on a gluten-free um dairy-free diet just because we got some advice from um in a naturopath that we saw um and they're you know respecting our families are respecting those decisions and they make sure not to you know give him any gluten or or dairy so little things like that like you know they're following our wishes Uh um so yeah so there that is providing some level of consistency yeah that's great (laughs) so um and kelly you also mentioned um that you've been involved in various therapy services so post-diagnosis what has happened for you guys and liam since what follow-up services have you engaged with after getting the diagnosis so um post-diagnosis it's been actually been more challenging I should mention, um, so we did early intervention right away before even getting diagnosis. And what do you mean by early intervention? So we, um, when we found, after the screening at SAC, we, we uh, we were pretty sure he had ASD. So we actually started speech therapy right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we started it in in November. November. Yeah. And we probably went to SAC in October. Yeah. Um, so we went through a few different speech therapists until we were comfortable with one. Um, so we did speech and then we, um, we transferred eventually over to an organization called ISAN. Mm-hmm. Um, and we liked that one, especially because our therapist, not a, she was a speech therapist, she is a speech therapist, but she's also has a, she has a behavioral background. Okay. So that's why we really liked ISAN. Um, so we were doing that. We, and then the, and um, the naturopath as well. And I the think. naturopath we saw, um, uh, that we saw, I think in November, um, made some adjustments to Liam's diet and gave him some supplements. Um, and then we, then the pandemic hit, uh, and we had to stop ISAN, unfortunately. Um, but then this, we were on a list for, um, city of, Toronto um, early abilities so we started speech online sessions with them um, and that was I think that was before the diagnosis yeah I think that was all yes, before the that's diagnosis right, that's right oh, yeah. before God. the diagnosis yeah. Yeah. wow okay yeah. yeah and then we got the diagnosis and then 
Um, I think we were actually still doing the the speech with City of Toronto when we got the diagnosis, and then that stopped because <laughs> they come in blocks. Those early ability sessions, so our block ended, um, and then since then we haven't actually had anything. So that was kind of um, a challenge, like all of the therapy stopping all of a sudden. So we're we're eager for it to start up again because um, I. I I mean, the online sessions are, are, are good, but I, I do really want to go back to the in-person um, sessions. Mm-hmm. We're also on a wait list to um, get into, from my sand, the early Denver model uh, program that they have. So that's uh, not, I guess it's not quite ABA, but it's like, I don't know, ABA I, I, for I, youngsters because yeah. <laughs> um, it's just like a, it's a better behavioral setting type of therapy for children that are um, it's more intensive so. young yeah um so and then now actually uh we're going to be doing the social abcs um program yeah yeah, at, yeah over here so that's going to be good that you know it's nice that therapies are starting up again so mm-hmm. yeah so we've actually done quite a bit pre getting the diagnosis and and now then it's slowed down after the diagnosis, but now it's picking up again. So yeah, yeah, because yeah. you actually got the diagnosis in April of twenty twenty. Yeah. Yes. So uh, everything at that point was pretty much locked down. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which is challenging. Yeah. So you had mentioned before, Kelly. So when you were talking about trying to find a speech and language um, therapist mm-hmm. uh, prior to the diagnosis, you went through a few. Mm-hmm. What were you looking for? What was, so, what was guiding your process to, to find the, the perfect SLP? Honestly, in the the first speech therapist, they've all been great, but you know you got to find the right fit. The first one I actually just googled, <laughs> so just saw someone that had like highly rated stars and I just picked them or picked that organization um and I don't know was just didn't really see I I just didn't really see it was fine I think the first couple of sessions were were useful Uh um but But we just didn't see it I guess we just didn't see very the sessions were the same every single time so we wanted to see um variation I guess in 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 the therapy so um we then actually the second therapist was the one at ISAN and we did see that we went um there was more of a structure I found like you know a few sessions we would kind of do similar types of therapy and then it would be switched to a different type of therapy even like bringing out different types of toys every day um whereas the first speech therapist it was the same toys every day so you're not really expanding um the language that way so uh and then uh actually we were happy with the this therapist at ISAN but it everything shut down so uh, we couldn't continue so that's why we um had the city of Toronto therapist who is also great uh but I, I think I will want to return to the therapist at ISAN yeah yeah. yeah. Well, I just like the fact, though, that you, you kind of had uh, a sense that the fit was important. Mm-hmm. You also, like, seemed attuned to, like, the particular model that one of them was using, and you were kind of trusting your gut. That, like, I think so. I think when you, because, like, we're present in all of the therapies, and I, we can see exactly what's happening, and I just felt we weren't progressing or moving forward with the first um, therapist, whereas with the second one, 
I could see there was a actually there was a goal plan that we would mm-hmm. make yeah um, after every session useful. so it was just a lot I, I found it to be more structured mm-hmm. which is something I like so um, I don't know maybe it was just Maybe it was her and I fit better together. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Well, so. and that's a good point that that can factor into it as well. But I guess that you have to listen to your gut as much as like stars on the website. Yeah, for sure, right? absolutely. No, for sure. You got to yeah. experience it and, um, yeah, kind of reevaluate every uh, few sessions. So. You've been really creative in finding uh, resources for Liam and your family, Kelly. Uh, what's been your approach to this? Um, hmm, I think, so I should, you know what, I should mention, I actually have, um, I was lucky that one of my colleagues, um, had kind of gone through this process, um, she, like 16 years ago, I think, so she kind of was my go-to, um, in the beginning, because I was just, I didn't know what to do, when you're in the beginning, you don't, it's so, there's so much information, um, there's just, it's info overload. So she basically kind of not only was there as like, um, just as support, but she had a lot of material and guidance to give me like a lot of books, which I actually haven't gone through cause there's so many, but <laughs> just like a lot of, um, she gave me a lot of resources. Like, uh, I went to the speech therapist when my son um, was going through this, uh, she, you know, she told me about, she, I think she's the one that told me about the city of Toronto early that's right, abilities. Yeah. Um, that's how we registered for that. Um, yep. and she kind of really provided a lot of support. So I was very lucky to have that, um, individual in my life. Um, and then we also have after you, I think we've had people tell us about resources too. So John's, um family friend um had given us a lot of resources as well and um and and then uh, my childhood friend at sac was was also helpful yeah Uh, so we've had a lot of people in our lives fortunately that have given us you know direction um and then also after getting the diagnosis we we had a list of resources there too to 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 access um, so yeah, there were, we did have a lot of individuals and, and professionals giving us advice that kind of helped with the process. So and it, it's interesting because you've been involved with a lot of different organizations, but there's like no centralized kind of <laughs> source of information. You're getting it from all kinds of different people, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's up to you to sort of like put together your, your resource kind of center for yourself. Yeah. And it's still kind of um confusing and 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 messy like so a lot of these services um uh we had to do privately because we're we haven't uh we're waiting for funding Mm -hmm. so we have like receipts all over the place and like it's it's i think it's been a challenge just getting organized and that was something my friend uh my colleague told me like you know get a binder you know (laughs) organize yourself because there's just a lot of information and receipts and stuff that you need to just kind of get in order um so i i need to get on that so because <laughs> yeah, it is too. um it's really it's been difficult to kind of um manage all of that so yeah yeah and when you say funding you're talking about the ontario autism, autism program, program. Funding? yes yes yeah. so when did you guys apply for that 
Soon after we got the the diagnosis, okay. yeah. And w- and what's the status of that, or what do you mean um, about when you'll get funded? I don't We're think not we received sure. any update. Uh, I think we got a letter that we may be getting um, more information soon, but it was yeah we haven't really heard too much on that. Yeah. yeah. And and we're really fortunate, you know. I should say that we had the resources to be able to do early intervention and, and yeah. you know, the speech therapy before we even had a, a diagnosis. I think when we thought about it, you know, we thought e- even if the diagnosis comes back negative, the therapy is still helpful for, for Liam just in terms of getting moving forward with speech. Um, but, you know, we recognize that most families would not have the same level of resources. And, you know, uh, so uh, and we access. were just very lucky. But there are... There, there are cer- I guess there are services that that are free. Yes. Yeah. So, which we also accessed. So, like the city of Toronto, um, speech therapy is free. So, early abilities. Um, yeah. Early abilities. So there are things out there that. But um, yeah, but yeah. like the the stuff that's available to everyone is is also limited, right? So early abilities yes, is great. That's true. But you're only getting you know a handful of sessions in blocks a couple times a year. Yeah. And really, you know, to, to have a meaningful impact, you, you need to yeah. kind of be practicing this stuff 24-7, right? Which, right. Yeah. Which yeah. is difficult, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, and John, you kind of read my mind in terms of the next question, too, because uh, you highlighted uh, um, being fortunate about having financial resources. And I was going to ask, how big a factor is the financial resources in, your, in, in just enhancing your ability to navigate the system and boost your confidence level in what you're doing as parents? Uh, uh, I think well, it's... In terms of, like, that being a factor in deciding what to do? Um, like I said, I guess we, we were fortunate enough that we were able to pay for a lot of these things out of pocket. It hasn't gotten to a point where it's been a, a limiting factor. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one area where parents have also been very much on board, just being like, don't worry about money for this mm-hmm. I, my, my mom has emphasized that a lot just just do whatever you have to do even if you have to sell your house just just do it mm-hmm. uh to to take care of liam uh, right now yeah yeah what well, also strikes me too is just like um you know the resources can kind of offer that immediacy in terms of like okay well we've done the research this service looks like it's going to benefit him let's get it yeah mm-hmm. right and as opposed to um, having to wait for some of those services, right, that are available, like you said, to everyone. Yeah, that's true, and yeah. yeah, that's a good point because early abilities. We were on a wait list for a few months before we actually got access to it. So, and in the meantime, we were doing it privately. But other um, parents might not have that, so they'd just be waiting. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout this time, um, John, you mentioned you you've had a friend who disclosed to you that his child is also on the spectrum. Um, how did that come about? Like, how did you start talking about that? And do you consider him to be a source of support? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this wasn't someone in my immediate circle. Uh, it's more like a a relative of a relative, uh, who, who I just kind of knew. Um, but, and I, I didn't even know that, that his, uh, his kid was on spectrum, uh, but I don't remember how we found out. I was it your mom. My mom somehow knew, uh, you know, because moms talk, I guess. Uh, so, um, so I reached out to to my cousin who who's related to to these guys, and and so uh, he, he put us in touch, 
uh, and that's when uh, we, we had the conversation and just like really, really thorough in depth conversation about their experiences. Um, a lot of which kind of lined up with with our experiences with with Liam, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and not entirely the same. Every child's going to be different, mm-hmm. uh, but we could definitely draw a lot of parallels. Uh, How and old is his kid? So his kid now is I want to say he's like seven. Seven, maybe? yeah, I think seven. Okay. Um, and again, like we haven't really interacted with them that much, but from the limited interaction, like we we had no idea, um, mm-hmm. and so. Um, and so when, when he kind of told me the approach that they had taken in terms of disclosing to everyone else, uh, whereas initially my thought had been, let's just be completely open about it and let's tell everyone, um, you know, uh, when he kind of explained what their decision process was, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe that makes sense. Uh, and, and just talking to him about, uh, a lot of things ranging from, um, temper tantrums, to uh, diet uh, and, you know, school, school um, you know, their experiences and decisions that they made and the outcomes of those decisions mm-hmm. uh, definitely helped us in uh, our decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like a grapevine network that led yeah, you very much to so. him. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. was he, like, was he like automatically very open in, in terms of discussion he was he was I, I i remember the first time i spoke with him uh, uh the first thing he just said was uh how can i help so wow. you know and and he really took a lot of time out and we had like email uh to, you know just emails going back and forth after that uh even somewhat recently he, he had just asked me you know how are things going with liam you know mm-hmm. uh, maybe i can give some uh, helpful tips on on where his kid was at at that time uh, and so, um, yeah, that definitely having that, um, you know, someone else who's sort of been in our shoes, yeah. uh, being able to uh, relate their experiences and, um, you know, the, the positive gains that they've had, uh, with, with their child, uh, it was definitely helpful, uh, for us. It definitely gives us something to, to strive for. Yeah. Um, so. And I felt the same with, way with my colleague. Like, I feel like talking to somebody who's been through the experience themselves has really been helpful. Um, just, you know, hearing their advice, uh, them calming us down and just like, um, hearing all, you know, their experiences has really been useful during this whole process. So it sounds like these connections to other parents has been just as powerful if not more than talking to the professionals. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, definitely been, been um, yeah. useful both in terms of just emotional support and also information. Like, they've given us a lot of yeah. valuable information. Yeah. And this has been a thread that's kind of woven throughout our conversation today. So Liam's ASD diagnosis was considered, like, mild to moderate, from yep. what I understand, and he decided not to share the diagnosis with those outside of his, his, the family, like you mentioned some of the select people. Yep. So you, you mentioned you arrived at that decision in part because of, like, talking with your friend. Were there, what other things were kind of going into that decision to not share it? I think the whole, um, the labeling, I think that you mentioned earlier, we were a little bit, um, you know, we just didn't want him to be. I think I felt like that was, that was sort of, um, once you open that box, you can't, you can't close it. So, you know, the, you know, we're still 
open to the possibility that we might share it in the future. Yeah. But for now, at least, we, we figured that um, also, it's not uh, hindering Like, anything. for me, there's always the worry, like, um, John does have a large family, um, lots of friends with young children, and I don't know how people will react when, you know, they hear about Liam's diagnosis and you know there's always the worry like oh maybe they don't want their children to play with Liam like you know because they might have views of their own so there's always that that worry for me um and obviously I don't want that as a mother like I want people to play with my child and stuff so that's kind of been a little bit of a worry for me yeah Yeah. I I think if and, you know, for, for every parent, parent it's going to be different. They'll have to make a decision based on what's best uh, for their child. Um, you know, Liam's pretty high-functioning, mm-hmm. and so, you know, his ASD isn't creating any sort of an issue for uh, for other children right. at this time. So uh, it, it didn't really seem necessary to, to share that information mm-hmm. uh, if it might. It, it just seemed that the potential negative impacts outweighed the positive at this time. Yeah, at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, with that thought in mind, like, if you were to share it, what would be the, like, the worst case scenario in your head of what could happen? Um, just people with other children his age, um, not wanting to get together because maybe they, maybe they feel like, their children might pick up on some of Liam's habits, you know, like stuff like that. Like that would hurt me definitely if, if something like that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like that probably wouldn't happen very often, but maybe there might be some people that, that might behave that way. Uh, I'm more worried that it might be more subtle, uh, just in the way people behave around him. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't want that to shape, uh, sort of how he thinks of himself. Yeah. Well, and that kind of leads into my next question, too. So Liam's still really young and there's going to be issues that you'll inevitably have to navigate as he matures. Sure. Have you thought about sharing the diagnosis with him as he gets older? (laughs) I haven't thought about that. That hasn't even (laughs) crossed my mind yet. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think eventually if I think it really depends on how he progresses yeah um if he gets to a point where you can't even tell like i don't i don't know if it's worth telling him yeah Um, and and because you know we have received the like (laughs) from some professionals this idea that it's possible he could come off spectrum so Mm -hmm. if that happens then you know uh i I think eventually we would probably tell him probably eventually but what the appropriate age is i'm not sure yeah. yeah. Maybe not during the formative years, but <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, maybe when he's older, but yeah, I don't know. And, and just to just to emphasize, you know, I'm not holding out hope that he's going to come off the spectrum. Uh, you know, I'm I'm expecting that chances are he will will remain on the spectrum. Um, but uh, regardless of how he ends up, uh, you know, I, I'd I'd like him to have a have a fair shot. I guess, at reaching there by himself without, you know, the label potentially um, holding him down. Right. Yeah. So we had originally started this podcast for families that were on the wait list for an ASD assessment um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Given your family's experience, what do you think would be helpful for families to know who are waiting for an assessment? Either to know or I should say, or to do while they're waiting. I think for me, I'm a big uh, supporter of early intervention. If you can, if you can um, access it somehow, like it's, I've read, I did a lot of reading and you know, something that came up repeatedly was like, don't wait for the assessment to start intervention, just start it right away. It's not going to do any harm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have any sort of doubts, just, you know, about speech or whatever, like just put them in, um, get them the therapy that they need um, early um, and, and as soon as possible. And then, you know, get the assessment and then you either continue that um, therapy or it's, or you don't have to, like, it's, just, it's not going to do any harm. That's what I would say. Just start some sort of intervention um, if you can. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's tough because a lot of parents, I mean, everyone is strapped for, you know, either money or time or both. So, you know, some parents may not have any other choice but, but to wait uh, for, for financial reasons or, you know, because mm-hmm. of whatever their specific their situation is. Um, one thing I, I would say coming out of this whole experience, though, uh, just speaking to kind of how I came on board, I hope that people who, you know, don't necessarily um, know anything about autism or, you know, they notice that there are certain things about their child that um, there, where there are some deficiencies or, you know, some, some th- areas that need to be developed that, that seem out of place and, and uh, you know, don't be afraid to, to get the assessment. Um because, screening. Oh, yeah, don't yeah. don't be afraid to go for a screening um, wherever that may be available um, because uh, it, it's so much better to have that screening done early on mm-hmm. uh, and just maximizing um, as much as possible the, um, you know, the therapy and, and whatever other resources available right now to give your child the, the best outcome. Uh, you know, I, I feel like there's so many people that I've seen and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose other people, but, you know, I, I see them and I think, oh, you know, this person is probably on the spectrum and never received a diagnosis. Um, and, you know, if they had early on and if they had received the, you know, the uh, appropriate, you know, help that they might be in a much better place right now. Uh, and so I think it's just much better just to get that screening done, uh, and, and maybe, you know, it'll, everything will be completely fine, but at least if it isn't, you know, you, you can address it now. Uh, and I'm so glad that we did, uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, the improvements that we've seen with Liam over the last year, uh, are very significant. Uh, we were actually thinking that because even, even between the point of the screening and the assessment, there was so much improvement mm-hmm. that we thought maybe he's already off spectrum. Maybe, maybe he'll be fine. Right. Uh, but one of the things that came back with the, um, formal diagnosis was, or when we were having conversation with the doctors was that, um, you know, you also can't discount the past for mm-hmm. the present. So, you know, we recognized from the daycare that, you know, uh, there are all these areas where he was behind or, you know, certain behaviors, uh, that were unusual. And so, that obviously still plays a factor in, in diagnosis, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot, so a lot of the reason that Liam is where he's at right now is because of the intervention um, 
with speech therapy and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I hope that more people will, will take that into consideration mm -hmm. of how much good it does uh, and act right away. Yeah. That was something that came up in my readings. Don't take a wait and see approach. Like there's a lot of people that will um, you know, just say, oh, you know, he'll grow out of it. it just wait and see, you know. Yeah. Um, don't do that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, uh, that's, uh, that's really excellent advice from both of you, I think. Um, um, and I, I think implicitly, John, what you're saying, though, too, is that there might be some fear involved at the beginning. Right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fear or actually, I wasn't I wasn't afraid. I, I literally just thought it was nothing. It was more just ignorance, I guess, or, or you know, uh, yeah, it was blissful ignorance, I guess, is thinking that this is just, it, right? yeah, this, this is just how kids are, yeah. uh, and he'll grow out of it. Um, like I said, like, he, he's not, he wasn't displaying any severe characteristics, so, you know, I, I, because most people don't really understand what autism is, they assume it's the worst case that they've ever seen. On, on television, you know, like it's it's not it's not that like the the vast majority of people on spectrum are are functioning in society. I think, and we just don't realize it. Yeah. We just think, oh, there's something wrong with this person, uh, and you know that they're a little quirky or something, yeah, right? Yeah, whatever it is, like they think, oh, there's something wrong with their behavior or whatever. Like that person may or may not have received a diagnosis on their own, uh, and so you know. Uh, I, I hope people will keep that in mind uh, for their children. That's great. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think what's really lovely is that you've talked so much about how you've benefited from talking to some of your colleagues and your friends who have been through the experience and provided support. And in that same way, you guys are paralleling, paralleling that by participating in the podcast today. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you. And hopefully if we have our podcast going down the road, it would be great to touch base with you at some point in the future and see where you are down the road and where Liam is is um, as he also grows and uh, becomes that person that you're imagining him to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That'd be great. Definitely. Thank yeah. you for, Thank having, you us. for having us. Thank you. If you've listened to this episode and have comments or ideas that you'd like to share with us regarding future episodes or what you heard today, feel free to email us at asdengage at hollandbloorview.ca. 